So this is the reviews of episode 68, recorded 221, February 21st, 2021. I'm Andrew McDonald. And I'm Sam Harper. And we are here to talk about all the things that we've watched since our last episode, or read, or played, because this is the reviews of. Yep. How are you doing, Sam? I am doing good. You sound wonderful. You got a new microphone. Yes, I did. Somebody, good. a close friend of mine, told me that this microphone would be better for recording, so... I purchase it. So yes, hopefully it's a lot of money, and hopefully everything sounds good. Yeah, hopefully things sound way cleaner than before. And you won't touch anything. <laughs> yes, and I won't touch anything. Our our editor and producer has told us many times not to touch anything to make any noise, and so we're going to listen to her, and we're not going to. Yeah, and I'm going to try to control my restless leg syndrome that has been doing a lot of the noise making. Okay, well that's uh, good to know. And not at all. Yeah, that's a good to know. <laughs> all right. So this week, we're going to be talking about uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, a new Disney film that just came out uh, Friday, about two days ago, on the 19th. Superman and Lois, the new WBCW show, focused on Superman and Lois Lane. Comic book, Two Moons, by writer John R. Curdy, and art by Valerio Gian Giordano. That was a good one. I mm. tried that on the first try. Yeah, good job. That was a, I went and did it. I saw it, and I panicked, and I got through it. <laughs> uh, Berserker, which is written by Matt Kind. And, or, see, this one was easier, and I'm pretty sure I said that right. Matt, Matt Kind and Keanu Reeves, with pencils by Ron Garney and colored by Bill Crabtree from Boom. Uh, Godzilla Half-Century War, which is five issues book from IDW, written by James Stilku. God, the names are actually getting worse. Yeah. And uh, finally, the wrap-up for WandaVision, episode 8 and 9, which just finished this last Friday um, on Disney+. Plus. Yep. Uh, there's something I want to talk about real fast as a quick aside. Yeah. But it's not done. But it's on episode 6. Um, okay, so there's a new K-drama. It's on Netflix. Okay. And it's called Vincenzo. 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 Okay. This K-drama is basically about a Korean guy who's apparently been raised by Italian mobsters in Italy. <laughs> yes. The father of the family, the, the head of the, the mafia family, dies. So he does one last job for his dad, which is to try to reclaim a vineyard from some guy who basically tells him to F off. Uh, get out of my face, you stupid yellow. You're not wow. getting anything you want. Wow. The whole time, this is this whole scene is in Italian. He's talking to him and, you know, trying to tell him, we don't have to fight here. We don't have to have any bloodshed. Just give me what I want. We'll all be happy. We'll move on. Guy doesn't want to do it. The entire time this is going on, there's like a crop dusting plane flying over the place, which is, I guess, spraying pesticides. So he leaves because he's not getting what he wants. And as he's walking out and hopping in the car, he pulls out a lighter and throws it into the vineyard. And we realized that the crop duster has not been spraying pesticides. It's been dropping gasoline. Ooh. So as this guy leaves, the entire place burns. And it's it's a, it's a great shot. Um, and then finally, he goes to his father's funeral. He meets up with his Italian brother, his brother, his father's actual son, who's now taking over the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he basically tells him, like, I don't think you should be in charge. You're not. You don't think things through enough. But I did what dad wanted me to do because he's arguing with him like well, you didn't have to do this today you could have waited he's like no nope. dad wanted me to do this as soon as possible i got it done so i did what dad wanted me to do it's done i don't think you should be in charge but you're the guy you're in charge so whatever of course the very same night after this his brother tries to have him killed of course yeah that does not go well the assassins are killed by him and he basically calls his brother from on an airplane and he's like he couldn't even wait a day Damn. So, just so you know, they failed. And from what I can hear, I hear your dogs barking. So, that means you must have just got home. And the brother's like giant Ferrari or whatever. He just got out of, blows up. And he's like, don't come looking for me. Because the next time, it will be you. 
and he hangs up the phone with his brother. He's on the plane and you see he's basically on a plane to Korea. Um, and from there, you get a quick recap of why he's going, which is basically a bunch of years ago, he made a, a, a vault for a guy, a Chinese person who wanted to hold a lot of gold and hide a lot of stuff away so that no one would find it. So he basically advises him, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy a cheap building full of stores and residents that live there. We're going to dig a secret basement in it. We're going to put a vault down there that only you can open with your biometrics. And you're going to be able to come there, store stuff, leave it there. And anytime you want to move it out, you can get it out. But only you're going to be able to open this vault. And the only people who are going to know about this vault are you, myself, and the guy who's going to be the building manager. And that's the only people. So now he's going back to Korea because we find out the guy who knew about the vault, whose vault it was, has recently died. And as far as they can tell, he never told anyone about it. His family doesn't know. His associates don't know. The only people who know is Vincenzo and the, the guy running the building for him. So they're like, we got to go get this money because this is a lot of money here. Yeah. And it's like, we're going to get this money. We'll knock the building down. We'll rebuild it for the residents. Tell them we're getting them a brand new building. We'll get the gold out in the meantime. And then we'll, that's it. We'll, we'll vanish. The building can stay up. We're good to go. And it just becomes a whole big thing because somebody else is trying to knock down and buy the building, some other company, and they're like, we can't let them do this because they're going to find it. And then it ra- unravels into more stuff because he's working with another lawyer because he's he was a lawyer in Italy as well because he was like the consul Gary from oh. the mafia family. Uh-huh. So he knows all the laws and stuff like that. He's really good. He's working with some other lawyer to stop these guys from knocking it down. But then it becomes a whole other thing where he ends up having to work on a different case with this lawyer's daughter to help her on something against this giant company that's now coming after him because of some other stuff. So it's, it's just the whole big thing. And then like, there's this one cop who's like in this police station, who's realized, yo, we got a hit. There's an Italian mobster in Korea right now. And his bosses are like, why would an Italian mobster be here? Like, what would he be doing here? Like, why are we going to go dig into all this? Why do we want this trouble? And this guy's like, no, if he's here, there's a reason he's here. What is he doing? And he's like, this one man squad who's like, we have to go find out about this guy now. <laughs> so it's like this whole thing, but it's just super good. And Netflix is producing it. It's um, just amazingly well done. It's a lot of fun. And it like just the cast, the characters and everything and the situations are just, I highly recommend it. It's just really good. It's really good. Vincenzo. And this guy who's the star, I can't remember his name, but he was honestly one of the biggest stars and Korean stuff uh, a few years ago because he was on another drama called Descendants of the Descendants of the Sun, which like everywhere across Asia was a huge show. Like every every country watched it, and like they wanted their own versions. And people were getting married in the style of the show, mm. like it was that big a show. And then he just did that movie Space Sweepers, which was also on Netflix. He's the lead guy in that. Okay. So yeah, all I gotta say is Vincenzo. The first episode is a straight hour and a half long. Like it's. Like it don't mess around, but like you watch it and you're just like, yo, this is this is good, and it just keeps going. Like, like I said, it's the one thing K dramas do. Like, you will watch it, and you go, how the hell else is what else is going to come in this damn show? Like, they've done so much already, and you're like, holy shit, they're going to do more, and it's just they just pack so much in, in like an hour, an hour and a half. So yeah, I highly recommend it. It's like six episodes in. Episodes come out Saturday and Sunday because they simulcast over there, so like they air over there live. And then they, they put the episode on Netflix. But yeah, there's six episodes so far. I think it might be eight to 12. Um, and again, these guys typically never do a second season. So it's one and done. But a lot of fun. A lot what, of fun. What's the love? What's the love? Uh, the love. Uh, the love. Every Korean drama I've ever seen always has some type of a love interest. Has some type of love interest romance. Is that yeah. the lawyer's daughter? Is that the love interest? Probably. Yeah. I don't think it started yet, but. She's the she's the female lead, so it's more than likely gonna be her. Okay, and you can already see there was like somebody she used to work with, who is now looking at her kind of like you're working with this guy, and I don't like it. Uh-huh. So it's like there's always got to be a second male lead who's got to stir up trouble, like either because he has the same affections, or because he doesn't like something, or he's like the bad guy somehow. Uh-huh. So yeah, but it's a lot of fun. It's a really good show. All right, cool. All right. So what are we gonna move on to? What's the first thing we want to talk about officially? Raya, The Last Dragon. Okay. Did you get to see it? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I did get to see it. Uh, like I said, Raya came out 
uh, just this past Friday. It is Disney's uh, newest animated film. It is an hour and 58 minutes long. So it's about two hours long, which is long, actually. It was kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually in theaters now, too. So you can actually go see it if theaters are open in your area, which uh, I think it was the biggest draw this weekend at the box office, which doesn't say much because it was about 20-something million dollars. But nothing's in theaters, so yeah. that works out well. So, Ryan the Last Dragon. Uh, the basic story is that it's a story about a land named Kumandra, which was prosperous before uh, some evil spirits called the Druun show up that can turn people to stone and multiply. Uh, this world also has dragons in it, and the dragons of Kumandra use their remaining magic to create an orb that wards off the Druun and revive everyone, but end up turning all the dragons to stone themselves. After this happens, a power struggle for the orb divides the people of this world into tribes based on their placement on a giant river that resembles a dragon, which is fang, heart, tail, spine, and talon. Um, Raya, the lead character, is a member of the uh, the heart tribe. They're the ones who have the orb, and they protect it, and they have for a couple hundred years. Um, Her father is trying to bring peace between all the tribes and invites them all there. And she ends up befriending uh, the daughter of the chief of the Fang tribe, Namari, this girl, because um, they both have a shared interest in dragons. Uh, basically, trying to befriend her, she shows her the orb, takes her to see it, and Namari signals her family to come steal it. Mm. So it becomes a whole thing where the all the tribes rush into where this orb is being kept. They're all trying to get a piece of it. They're all trying to take it. And it ends up breaking during a fight. Um, which then reawakens the Drune. So now the Drune come back because uh, this orb is broken and people are fleeing from this place, being turned to stone and you know being attacked. Uh, before Raya gets turned to stone, her father gives her a broken piece of the orb because each tribe grabs a piece of it and throws her into the river because the Drune can't go into water. And if you're holding the orb, they typically can't attack you because they're, they're, the power of it keeps them away. Uh, the movie then picks up six years later where she's still alone She's still searching for uh, the last dragon, Sisu. Um, basically, the Mari shares a tale with her that the last dragon is somewhere along this river. And you can find her if you can find like the temple that she's residing in. She does find the last dragon. She does find her and wake her up. She gives her the orb, which also gives her some powers. And then they basically now continue on this adventure to find the other pieces of the orb, go to each tribe, find the piece that was left to try to reunite them to save the world. Um, I liked it a lot. It's probably one of their best movies, um, honestly. This movie is good because it doesn't really have a central villain. Um, you know, the the Fang tribe definitely are the most villainous because they the, the, the queen of the Fang tribe basically worries that if all the orbs are reunited and everyone's brought back, that they're going to be blamed for the fact that this happens because in truth, they are the, the fault for why this happens at the same time. Uh, Namari herself again is a big dragon buff. So when she kind of in first encounters the last dragon later on in the film, she, you know, was kind of like at shock. Like this is what her dream has always been to find a dragon and to deal with it. Uh, but Raya herself has to basically get over her own hangups that she has to learn to trust people, which are going to be these people in these other tribes. Cause the only way to bring everyone back together is to actually bring everyone back together to try to trust them and learn. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's honestly a pretty great movie. Uh, the protagonist Raya is a great character. She's played by Kelly Marie Tran, uh, more recently known from star Wars as Rose. Uh, Kelly Marie does a fantastic job. Aquafina plays Sisu, you know, goofy young water dragon, last of her kind. Aquafina, I think, also does a great job, and she's just one of those people. I mean, her voice is super distinctive. Like, yeah. No matter what she does, if she is talking, you probably, if you know what she sounds like, you know what she sounds like. You're going to hear it and be like, that's Aquafina. So she comes across as herself. Uh, Gemma Chan plays Namari, the chief rival. Um, she's also great because, again, it's, it's a very conflicted relationship they obviously have. Like they're both rivals and they both want to be on top and they both want to save the world and their own people, but they both go about it in very different ways. Um, and then there's plenty of others. Daniel Day Kim is Raya's father. Benedict Wong is Tong, a warrior from the Spineland. Sandra Oh is Verana, Namari's mother and the chiefess of the Fanglands. Um, 
And Alan Tudyk is Tuk Tuk, who's basically a mix between an armadillo and a pill bug that she rides around on. Yeah, I saw that. That looked really rad. Yeah, it's pretty rad. I just don't understand why Alan Tudyk plays it because it doesn't talk. So it's just one of those things where it's like when South Park said George Clooney played a cat on the show. And it's just, so you got George Clooney to meow a bunch of times. Cool. It's called a check. I guess so. I guess so. Just, I don't know who, who does Alan Tudyk know that was like, you know, we need to cast for this. Alan Tudyk. You know, it's like, we could cast my nephew. He'd be cheaper. I don't know. (laughs) He can go something like, I don't know. Or, you know. He can make those noises, too. That's all. Uh, needless to say, uh, Raya and Last Dragon, definitely worth it. You can get it if you have Disney Plus, and plus $30, which honestly probably is still about less than a movie if you have a family of four and you're trying to watch it. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a solid family movie that you can watch a bunch of times. Uh, my kid, who is three years old, basically said she did not want to watch it, and then we started watching it. And she was basically reacting to the things on the screen as if they were happening to her. And then we had to stop and watch it the rest of the next day. And then she still continued to watch it and get excited. And then asked to rewatch it as soon as it finished. So I told her to shut up. You did not even want to watch this in the first place. We'll watch it again later. Solid parent. <laughs> but she clearly enjoyed it. Good. Big on three-year-olds. So uh, I highly recommend it. All right. It looked really nice. Yeah. I definitely recommend it. It's, it's a beautiful looking movie. Uh, instead of jumping straight to TV, do you want to jump to comic books? Yeah, I could do like two moons. Cool. But I need your help. Okay. What do you need my help with? Because I didn't read it yet. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I read it. But okay. you know where I'm going to go with this. So, okay. Two Moons. It came out uh, February 24th. It is written by John Arcudi. Arcudi. And the art is done by. Th- Valerio Gian Giordano. Yes. I don't know how that was so much easier than the smaller names that come later, but cool. Yeah. So uh, to give the summary, uh, this issue starts a long journey into the young pony man named Virgil Morrison, a.k.a. Two Moons, fighting for the Union during the Civil War. When he is suddenly confronted with his shamanic uh, sh- roots, he discovers horrors far worse than combat as the ghosts of, the, of his past reveal the monstrous evil around him. Um, I hate Civil War comics. I do not, or Civil War contact in general. Anytime they do historical, I'm not a huge fan of historical fiction, mostly because I don't care so much about that stuff because I'm black and usually it never turns out well for me. But, uh, this looked kind of interesting for one. This is a Native American person. And two, uh, it is a horror comic. This isn't a, this isn't, this is a Civil War comic. Yes, but this is a horror comic because the last couple of issues get very very creepy and the cover page for the next one looks very disturbing um two uh two moons is a normal soldier just doing soldier things uh there's a very graphic uh scuffle that they had well i guess it's a war they they had a war but it was pretty much they were winning so badly it wasn't a real fair war a little battle but they shot up a bunch of uh confederate people and they War as hell is a is a mm. real thing that it is, but um, it it definitely looks like it's going to be interesting. Um, the design for characters, both normal and when it gets a little, mm. looks very cool. Uh, the artwork is like I'm just I haven't seen art like artwork like this before. It's it's almost like I'm looking at a painting a little, like nice. kind of oldish, but yeah, it's okay. very detailed. Check it out if you can. Um, I'm going to read it until it gets through the first volume and then decide whether or not I'm going to stop. Because, again, I really don't give a crap about Civil War and I can only, and maybe the artwork can only hold me for very long. Because the story's not bad, but it's not like, wow, yet. So let's just see. I'm mostly cool. here for the artwork and for the horror. Cool. Yeah. So that's two. Right, sounds pretty good. That's two moons. So if Is you're a fan it, of horror. Oh, they're all out. Or, no, they're not all out yet. Uh, what's what? Oh, I was I was seeing if they were all out. Oh, oh no, like, uh... just the first issue came out. Uh, oh, oh, and this is by uh, this is uh, Image. Image Image Comics. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at their website, and I see it says yeah, February 24th, March 31st, April 28th, and then May 26th. So the four issues, and it's 3.99 for the book, the cover price. 
Yeah, um, I got 10, 10% off because I'm a Comixology Ultimate uh, subscriber or unlimited subscriber. Um, it's like there you go. $5 a month. It's just, shit pays for itself. They just give you access to so much comics. In fact, they give me access. They actually didn't have to pay for one of the comics I'm reviewing later in this podcast. So Cool. Yeah. All right. Pretty neat. Yeah. It's definitely on my list. I got to read it soon. So Yeah. Uh, so jumping back to TV, um, last week, or this week, I guess, mm-hmm. two weeks ago now, I guess, Superman and Lois had its first episode. Superman and Lois is the latest CW uh, show centering um, on the titular characters, Superman and Lois. This show doesn't feel like other CW shows. Uh, I think there's a bit of a time jump between uh, what's currently going on and stuff like The Flash and this. But basically, the best way to describe this show is it feels like someone took the CW-verse of The Flash and all those shows, crossed it with Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, and then added a touch of Superman Returns to this. Because the color palette, and I watched the second episode today, very much resembles Man of Steel. Like, it's kind of muted colors. It's not super bright and colorful. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like Man of Steel, where it's like ultra grim and dark. Like, it feels like a very mature Superman show. But it doesn't feel like it's the mature level that Zack Snyder goes for and his his stuff. Like, it feels like this is still Superman, but this is now Superman dealing with things that maybe we're not used to seeing Superman deal with. Like, teenage sons who have problems in school. Like, he has two teenage sons, both twins, uh, him and Lois. One of them is Jonathan. The other one is Jordan. Jonathan is, like, the star player quarterback. He's a freshman quarterback on the football team. You know, uh, super handsome, has a girlfriend. Everybody loves him. Uh, Jordan is the one with long hair, kind of emo-looking, suffers from anxiety, uh, things like that. Uh, at the same time, you're also dealing with the fact that Morgan Edge, who's a big comic book character, kind of a mobster, gangster kind of type, has bought the Daily Planet. So in the first episode, Clark is fired from the Daily Planet. Mm. Lois is still working there. Uh, shortly after Clark gets fired from the Daily Planet, he hears his mother call him from Smallville and gets there in time to find her dead. Wow. Because she's had a stroke. Wow. Yeah. So we deal with the the passing of Ma Kent from a stroke because Pa Kent has apparently died years earlier because that's just what you do with Pa Kent. You kill him. Only Lois and Clark lets Pa Kent live. Otherwise, he's dead. Oh, no. In the comic books, he's still alive again now. That's okay. But Pa Kent typically dies first. Uh, But yeah, Ma Kent's buried. Um, But yeah, with all this stuff happening, uh, they come back for a funeral. You get to see Lana Lang, who's married to the chief of the, the fire department, who's a bit of a jerk. Um, you get to meet Lana Lang's daughters, and you get Jordan and Jonathan basically having an accident in the barn where a bunch of pipes nearly fall and crush them, but they survive, which they realize they couldn't have survived uninjured unless one of them doesn't have powers. And slowly we learn over the course of the episode and a couple of different situations that happen that it's actually Jordan who has the powers and not Jonathan. Um, so that becomes a whole thing where they now decide that they're going to move the entire family to Smallville because up to this point, they actually haven't revealed to the kids who are now about 14, 15, that their dad is Superman. (laughs) Clark has basically been just dipping out to do things their entire life. And they did not know. They just kind of thought he was a bit absent. So now they know, and that, you know, comes with its own drama because they're like, you've been lying to us the whole time. Yeah. Uh, there's also the fact that Lois's father, uh, you know, General Lane, also knows that, you know, obviously her daughter's husband is Superman because it's probably just easier that way. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to spend less time trying to kill you if he knows you're married to his daughter, yeah. which typically he does in the book sometimes. And uh, the general conceit after all the family drama is that there's some guy um, who's been trying to find kryptonite to kill Superman on the planet who's been flying in, breaking into stuff where the army is basically calling in Superman to help fight this guy. Uh, We learned by the end of the second episode, roughly that this guy probably comes from some sort of parallel earth where on his earth, Superman is a villain and he fought with general lane uh, against him. 
because we get kind of a bit of a flashback from his perspective of Superman basically heat visioning a bunch of soldiers in front of him. Ah. So, yeah, he's basically trying to kill Superman before he becomes his Superman because he's just uh, he basically just thinks this is going to happen. You're going to become him. You will be a villain. I can't trust you. And apparently his computer calls him Captain Luther. So we don't know if this is technically a Lex Luthor from a parallel world. Or it just thinks he is Lex Luthor. But his armor is uh, very reminiscent of Luthor's kind of power armor in some of the books that we've seen in the comics. Uh, yeah. What's up? This sounds a little crime syndicate. A little bit. It could be. He could come from a world with a crime syndicate. Yeah. And remember in yeah. that world, Luthor was a hero. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know. Uh, they haven't told us much yet because it's only second episode, but we do know by the second episode that uh, basically Lois quits the Daily Planet because Morgan Edge is trying to move into Smallville and they've basically been watching that he's been moving into a lot of small towns that are struggling and buying up property and like basically just promising the world to them and then leaving them cold and in the dust. So Lois goes in there to Smallville to tell these guys like, you can't trust this guy. And they're like, mm, he's talking about bringing jobs here. Because Smallville looks like a, basically a dying American town. Like, everyone's moving out. No one has money. Everybody's losing jobs. And they're like, screw you, big city girl. We're not going to listen to you. He's promising good shit. So we're going to do that. And maybe things will be okay. So yeah, Lois ends up quitting her job at the Daily Planet. After they change a story, she writes about Morgan Edge. And then takes a new job at uh, the Smallville Gazette. So that she can write her stories and try to find out what he's up to. Hmm. so yeah uh, all in all uh, it's it's good it's a good superman it's a good take on superman uh i think the worst thing about the second episode is that basically clark's dad jarell is still a computer hologram so he takes jordan to the fortress of solitude and he's like yeah my son is exhibiting power so i want to you know check him out and make sure we can scan him and they go there twice and the second time he goes there jarell is basically like yeah your son totally below average kryptonian like i know you said he had like laser beams in the first episode he had heat vision yeah i don't even think he's ever going to be able to do that again total fluke he's basically just barely above a human averagely wow and, and he's like well we should test him again and he's like yeah it's not going to change anything and it's like damn hologram dad you're <laughs> a dick so it was it was pretty rough uh yeah jarell is it was also a fat jarell which was kind of funny actually He's kind of a fat Jarrell, yeah. Like usually not so much. This was this was kind of a fat Jarrell. Hey, so. no, no fat shaming Jarrell. Look, when we see a lot of Jarrells, I never saw a fat Jarrell till tonight, and I was like, "Who the fuck is this fat Jarrell talking about? <laughs> Below average Krypton? Come on, bro, look at you. Like Superman is like the epitome of human, like human, like you know, rock rock solid body, like saving the world, like." You just be a fat guy flying around in a cape. Nah, man. Barely Santa Claus right here. It's messed up. All right. So that was Andrew's <laughs> review of. <laughs> so my review of Superman and Lois is it's definitely a mature take on Superman. And Hologram Jarrell can suck it. He's a jerk. He's a douche. All right. Uh, <laughs> I have two more comic reviews. I'm going to run through them just real quick so we can get to the main topic. But um, Berserk, uh, this was actually suggested to me by uh, Berserker. Mar- Berserker, sorry. Marquilon Sigler. I'm pronoun- I'm butchering your name, uh, good sir. I'll put your, your uh, at name in the body of this. I mean, body. The summary page. In the show notes. There you go. Show notes. And then we can, you know, shout out to you later. But anyway, this dropped exactly. this past March, uh, Mar- uh, Wednesday, March 3rd. Uh, it's done by Matt Kine and Keanu Reeves. So Keanu, Keanu Reeves, Reeves helped write this, you guys. Yep. And it looks like John Wick mixed with like, I don't know of a good enough violent ex. Uh, Thor, violent. No, Thor? this is more bloody than Thor. This is oh, just... I gotta read this one too. Yeah. Okay. So this is. I'm gonna read the summary. The man known as only as Berserker is half mortal and half god, cursed and compelled to violence, even as even at the sacrifice of his sanity. But after wandering the world for centuries, Berserker may have finally found refuge, working for the U.S. government to fight the battles too violent and too dangerous for anyone else. In exchange, Berserker will be granted the one thing he desires, the truth about his endless blood-soaked existence and how to end it. Okay, so like... Nice. Off, like, 
first four pages, he's pulling somebody's spine out and like punching Ooh. jaws off. Like this is violently bloody. Like just like the, basically they just the the it starts off he's doing a mission and they he jumps out of a plane and he lands and like he just wrecks just taking guns and shooting people with it like punching through people he's like his arms are, his hands are bandaged up like a boxer because he's just a, like a wrecking machine they're shooting at him he feels like he's regenerating too fast for them to like for his bullets to matter he's just crushing things and like uh, they're trying to kill like some type of president who's escaped, who's trying to leave the country. And like he's in he's in full rage mode. He's like to to stop the jet from leaving the tarmac, he crashes his car directly into it because so it explodes. And he's like walking out half melted and shit, and just like nah, ah, they're just like we want him alive. And well, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> he Cliff notes. I mean, spoiler, he doesn't leave him alive. But yeah, uh, oh, of course. Basically, while he's doing that, he's talking. You hear him talking in the background to somebody. We find out later is like I guess a half scientist, half psychiatrist who's trying to understand his origin. And like every time he comes after a mission, they like do a full workup of him. Like they're like have him like in this full, like wired up and like like taking samples of his fingers and his eyes and blood and all that stuff to trying to like figure out everything they can about him. And that's the thing I like about this that's different from all the other ones. He's fully aware of what's going on. He even says, he's just like, yeah, use me to build your clone army and give yourself superpowers or whatever. He just wants to be able to kill himself when he needs to. He even says <laughs> he's not suicidal. He doesn't want to die. He just wants the option to and mm-hmm. to learn as much as he can about himself because he remembers everything up to a certain point and then anything before that he forgot. But, and this is a but and spoiler, at the end of the issue, he remembers, he gets a, during the mission, he realizes he had, he, he got a flash of a memory and the memory as of him being born. And he was born <laughs> 85,000 years ago. So like, wow. he, like, no, sorry, I'm, I'm doing that wrong. He, he was born during caveman times. Cause you see him like his like parents are like cave people. And like, he's just, he's nursing and you like see like, you know, shit and stuff. So like, he's like old, 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 old. It's a big book. Yeah, no, this is big. And it is beautiful. So, like, uh, Matt Kenley, I'm still in the middle of reading his, uh, like, I'm halfway through the entire series of Mind Management, which is mm-hmm. a kooky book. I saw that. I want to read that one. Oh, it is so good. It is such a kooky book. But, like, you could tell it bleeds in through here, the way his writing style. It's definitely a mix of a Matt Kenley, of, like, and I'm guessing what Keanu Reeves would be. Because, like, I got to tell you, this guy looks like John Wick. This looks like Keanu Reeves as John Wick. Yeah. But John Wick, if he was a berserker. With I'm more, seeing this with Deadpool level regenerative abilities, like yeah, exceeding Deadpool. They did it through a Kickstarter. They actually did a Kickstarter. It looks like I guess sometime last year, and it raised uh, one million four hundred forty-seven thousand dollars. Two words: Kickstarter. Keanu <laughs> Reeves. Yeah, yeah. Originally, their goal was fifty thousand dollars to do this book, <laughs> and it was gonna. Yeah, and it was going to fund Volume 1 graphic novel, Volume 2 graphic novel, and Volume 3 graphic novel. Because I see that the Volume 1 is about a 128-page softcover, 384 pages total. It's a big book. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 128 page, you know, for each book. That's crazy. Uh, This was a well... Like, the stories, it's a little... How do I put this... A mortal soldier who's never been done before. I mean, we literally just watched the the old guard just pass. So mm-hmm. it's not like it hasn't been done before. Like, I mean, fuck, Wolverine is basically this. But like, it, that's essentially Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah, but this just felt just a little bit different enough that it makes it interesting. And like, I like his personality. I mean, he it's very solemn, obviously, because he's like thousands of years old. But like, yeah, it's 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 an interesting book. Uh, the artwork is. Beautiful. I'm assuming I'm assuming Matt Kind does it because he does all the art. He did the art in the last one. But yeah. Um yeah. it's really good. Uh I'm I can't wait to read the next issue. Let's see, Matt Kind actually wrote this. Yeah. And Ron Garney was the artist who's also drawn Wolverine and Captain America. Like Wolverine Matt now? Kind has previously drawn What's up? Wolverine now? Uh it doesn't say oh. right now, but I guess hey, recently Ron. enough. Yeah. Or in the past. 
but what maybe what he's most well known for. But Matt Kind did Folklords, and he also he's also written Justice League in the past, as well as he said like Mind Management. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah, I, I, I have a meeting to grab this now, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to check this out. And honestly, a million bucks for three books. I mean, for God's sakes, it, it wouldn't surprise me if I were to hear right now already that somebody's like planning, like, "Hey, Keanu, can we do a movie about this?" I would not be surprised. This yeah, is this cause... is definitely where you like. I mean, there you go. Three days ago, Keanu Reeves wants to play his Berserker comic character on screen one day. Yes, <laughs> he needs to do that nowish though, because he is you know, like he can only he do, do it now because he he's, he can only be that good looking for what like another. Five I mean, years. he's he's stayed that good looking for about thirty years now, but. The sooner the better. Yeah, no, the sooner the better. Yeah. He, he would need to bulk up just a little bit more, but yeah. The yeah. The better. This week saw the launch of Berserker and comic book stores. It got orders of more than 600,000 orders from comic book sellers, making it the single biggest comic issue in 30 years outside of Marvel's Star Wars number one in 2015. Woof. And you the know what? Biggest comic book in 30 years outside of that. Wow. I just want to make one more comment about this. Berserker was great, but I want to give another shout out to Boom Studios. Because I got to tell you, the last... That's a hell of an acquisition. Yeah, I know. The last three years, like, Boom has been putting out some stuff. Like, especially in this last year period. Like, they've been putting mm-hmm. out stuff that I've been reading, like, hard. Like, Once in mm-hmm. Future is good. A Seven Secrets is good. Uh, This is good. There's another, something else that they dropped. That, oh, uh, isn't uh, They Only See the Find Us When They're Dead? We Only Find Them is When They're Dead. Is that Boom, that, That's Boom. That might be Image. That, that might actually be Image. I think that might be Boom. Checking right now. And they also do the Mighty Morphins. You're right. They do the Mighty Morphins. The I, Mighty Morphins have been solid, too. Yeah, and they also do uh, the new Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's also been good. Let's see. Uh, I'm just checking out Ewing real fast just to see because he wrote that. I also see the Al Ewing. We only find them when they're dead. Yeah, it is Boom. You're right. It's Boom. Yeah. So, yes. And that's Boom. Yeah, Boom is rocking it right now. Boom is rocking it. Just, they are seriously having a, a hell of a rena- renaissance, probably. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's that's Berserker. Last but not least, half a century, Godzilla, half century war. Okay. Uh, this was also a suggestion from another Twitter follower. Uh, Minoski article. Actually, it's not a Twitter follower. That's a lie. Uh, this gentleman literally just posted some in- images of it. Or I don't even know if this is a gentleman. Whoever they are. Uh, male, female, <laughs> non-binary, however you identify uh their posts basically post uh them appreciating how well the concepts they they fleshed out in this book were about godzilla because godzilla basically he was showing the different teams that each that were devoted to each monster because they were like this was the military's response to giant monsters going around destroying shit and fighting each other and i was like oh this is interesting let me read this because i want to be i want to learn more about godzilla because godzilla versus king kong is happening hashtag team kong um (laughs) but so I wanted to read it. And it is fascinating. If you are a fan of Godzilla, you have to read this comic. Bar none. This covers all of the goody stuff. So I'm going to read out the, sum- the summary to it. Uh, in the year is 1954, and Lieutenant Ota Murakami is on, is on hand with Godzilla makes his first land call in Japan, along with his pal Kinro. Ota makes a desperate gamble that saves lives and in the process begins his obsession with the King of Monsters that lasts 50 years. Okay, so this was a five-issue comic. Uh, I read the graphic novel that covered all of them. Mm-hmm. Each issue covers another 10 years and it's basically him starting when he was like 20 and he was just literally happened to be in Japan when like in, like, in the military like maybe a couple months before Godzilla hit, t- hit town and just started destroying <laughs> shit. And he couldn't stop the monster, obviously, but he was able to divert its attention long enough that people were able to be evacuated. And they, he's also the only person who got that close to him and survived, along with his friend. And he gets recruited to the ATF, uh, AF, sorry, AFT, anti monster, AMF, sorry, anti monster force. Yeah, basically. And okay. they're like just trying to defeat Godzilla and like study him and all that stuff. Uh, and like you just go through like you just see his life traveling around Godzilla, just losing friends, gaining resources, losing resources because they go from like people who are trying to kill Godzilla to like having the backing of everyone on the world and building monster killing machines to like pretty mm-hmm. much being uh, weathermen basically to forecast where Godzilla and yeah. the mon- giant monsters will land and stuff. 
And then like also this one guy who used to work for them has created a pretty much a beacon that attracts them to areas and is selling them off as like black market weapons. And so and you you get to see him like fight all the 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 like you see him to fight other monsters because at first it was just Godzilla, but then you see all the other monsters like you know Rodan and Mothra and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then like the the guy who is making the beacon, he makes one so big it starts attracting space monsters. So that's where <laughs> you get uh, King Gorgi, uh, uh yeah. Gajira, not Gajira, fuck. Oh my god, the guy with the three heads, Ghidorah, Ghidorah, Jesus. Cannot get my. Couldn't get I have my, never watched like a single Godzilla movie since uh, Godzilla two thousand. You really <laughs> need to read. God, you really need to see Godzilla King of the King of Monsters. I've been honestly wanting to. Yeah, it's no you, especially with your setup. You should just put it on the thing, turn all the lights. I need sound. That's the thing I'm missing. I need something that like my family cries because it's too loud and there's too much vibration and things are falling off the walls. That's how you know. I will have it one day, but I don't have it yet. Yeah. I told you, right? The Matrix nearly made me cry once. <laughs> My dad has killer sound set up, and it was at our previous house when I used to live with them. And I watched The Matrix, uh, maybe the second one, but it's during the dock fight when the, the old guy is in the mech and he's shooting all the- That's the third one. Like the machines that are flying. That's the third one? Okay. Well, it's yeah, it's during the dock where he's shooting all the machines and it's the old guy and he's in that thing and it's just machine gun fire. And I'm watching it in our basement. I'm tearing it up. The subwoofer's on. And it's just like, this is the most glorious thing I'm watching right now. Because it's just pure vibration going through the like the room. And it's like, this is amazing. I, I just, I can feel everything of this. Mm. It's like, when a scene is a painting. <laughs> you speak. <laughs> like, I'm watching this. You're speaking poetry. And, and no one would understand. But it, it's glorious. Yeah. Okay, so this was written and drawn by James Stokey, and this is also IDW, uh, same people who gave us the beautiful Transformers uh, comic books. Mm. Um, I don't usually it's read... It's 2013. Huh? It's 2013. Yeah, this came out, yeah, years ago. So you can find it. I got this for... F- I got to read this for free. Well, for free. I got to read this as part of my com- Comicsology Unlimited package, so, you know. Cool. Uh, if you have it, check it out. It is, Makes sense. Um, again, if you're if you are a fan of Godzilla read it or if you're a fan of like grizzled war veterans who basically have a slight ahab kind of mentality <laughs> about godzilla face it there's a very badass ending scene to for pretty much how his relationship with godzilla ends mm-hmm. it is so like the la- it's so badass and i'm not gonna spoil it cool Go check it out all right yeah will do and i think that brings us to our final topic yes so, this week, uh, what day was it again? Today's the 7th, so it was the 5th of March. WandaVision wrapped up with its ninth episode. Yep. But we're going to just go over a little bit of the 8th and the 9th. Um, so, quickly in the 8th episode, we uh, have now found out that it was Agatha all along. And we get to go through uh, basically everything that's led up to this point. Which is seeing Wanda... Go to Sword, discover that uh, the Vision's there. He's been broken into pieces, and that the army and Sword have been all trying to recreate him and build him back up. Uh, she quickly realizes that it's just the body; it's not him. She can't feel him, so she leaves. Uh, she ends up going to Jersey, where apparently she has a deed to a house that I guess the Vision had bought, an idea that where somewhere they could settle down and start, you know, living a life together when everything had cooled off from them being on the run. And in that moment, her grief is what causes the hex and she creates Westview around her and creates the hex version of vision that she's been living with throughout the series. So we basically find out that's how it all came about because Agatha sees her and realizes she's the legendary Scarlet Witch who basically can pull and create anything out of chaos magic. Yes. Uh, wait, so, wait. Yeah. Just uh-huh. one thing that I thought was kind of interesting. They go back to her past when she was when her ch- parents died because of you know mm-hmm. the Stark missile dropping yeah. in there. She says that the it's chaos magic that actually kept she she basically did a probability spell to keep the bomb from exploding. Yep, that's how they were able to survive for those two days. Yeah, Wanda had magic this entire time. Yeah. The, 
it's the Mind Stone that activated, like that that grew it. It didn't. She yeah. had it already. Yeah, she just had this untrained magic, and the Mind Stone kind of let it out even more. Yeah, yeah. Which again, people have been saying, well, if she had this magic, fine. But how did her brother survive? And I assumed that her brother survived because she wanted him to survive. Because mm-hmm. they're both in there, and you know. She basically is told before she touches the Mind Stone because the person leaves the, the microphone on who's like the scientist and they're like, every subject who's touched this has died. And it's like, oh shit. And then turns off the mic and it's like, well, that's promising. You gotta go do this now. And she's just like, I just, I don't care. Yeah. So I have to imagine that by the time Wanda gets back to her cell and her brother is next, she's probably very focused on hopefully her brother survives mm-hmm. and that magic does it then too. And if she's manipulating uh, probability, she can make a one in a million shot um, or exactly. one in a two shot. Yeah, exactly. Um, and at the same time, by the end of that episode, episode eight, we also see that now because of the stuff she's been manipulating, specifically a drone that she had manipulated, um, that Hayward has uh, gotten his hands back on. Uh, they're able to use the energy that's imbued in the drone to reactivate the vision and then put that into the vision's new all-white reassembled body. So now we get the the white vision uh, from comic book lore that existed in the Marvel comic books as well. Sounds uh, really racist, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, you got white vision and you got vision. Vision. <laughs> that's vision. A, that was a hilarious little meme that's been going around the yeah. internet. If you haven't if seen you, it... Basically, Vision yeah. is a African American gentleman now, and he's like they gave him like a chain, like because there's a scene where Vision's in the turtleneck, and so they decided to give him a chain and a Caesar haircut, and basically turn him into Vision, which is Vision, yeah. Because as some people have pointed out, you know, he is from Wakanda, he was assembled there from parts of it, <laughs> all that stuff. So clearly, he's a Wakandan, you know, he's at least half Wakandan. The show people got nothing better to do. All right, but all so, right, yeah. So in episode nine, uh, Agatha is now fully unleashed. We know she's the bad guy. She's also a witch of immense power, who wants to gain access to Wanda's chaos magic and take it from her. Which has really been the whole point of her manipulating things from behind the scenes to find out how Wanda did what she did, especially as an untrained witch, and to gain her power because that seems to be what she's very capable to do—steal power. Um. Vision shows up to help fight against her, as well as uh, the White Vision also shows up. So then we get Vishon and Vision, <laughs> White Vision, <laughs> having a fight uh, throughout the town of Westview, while uh, Wanda is actually trying to, you know, free the residents, uh, deal with Agatha, and keep her kids safe. We also find out that Pietro is not really Pietro; he's just a guy. Whose name is Ralph Boner. Ralph Boner. Boner. Uh, who's under Agatha's control. And that's the Ralph like that we've always son. been hearing. Hmm? The Ralph that she's always been talking about. That's her Ralph. Yeah. Which I, I said to somebody. So I'm like, does Agatha like him young? Because she's 400 years old. And she's just like, yeah, my husband Ralph. And she's just messing around with this guy. Or is she just. I don't know. Because I mean, she calls him her husband a bunch of times. And he's clearly living in his her basement, like in a man cave. Have, but yeah, have you you've seen Evan Peters before, right? I've seen Evan Peters. Yeah, she fucked him. Probably she she totally fucked him. Probably yeah. But uh, so yeah, Monica frees Pietro, who becomes Ralph again, and she helps the twins stop Sword because Sword comes rushing in when Wanda is freeing all the people and letting them go running out. Uh, the visions are fighting, but the fight basically becomes a bit more of a metaphorical fight as. Uh, Hex Vision basically talks to White Vision and kind of says, your mission is to kill the Vision, but the Vision is already dead because I'm not really him. I was the Hex Vision made from somebody's memories. And you technically are the the parts of the Vision that did die. So which one of us is more Vision or are we both the Vision? So in doing that, he actually helps him unlock the memories inside his body, which are the original Vision's memories. At which point, White Vision seems to be free of his control from the army and flies off. Unfortunately, not to be seen again for the rest of the show. Um, we'll talk about it, I get that later because I, I have theories on what that is. Right. Um, in the meantime, Wanda is still fighting Agatha. Agatha is draining more of her strength. Uh, they're basically flying around in the sky. Vision tries to help her, but Wanda holds him back. 
Uh, and during the fight, it continues going on where Wanda is throwing shots at Agatha. Agatha's absorbing them, getting stronger, and also missing shots at her. And quickly we come to find out towards the end of the fight is that Wanda has learned her lessons from Agatha and has made runes in the sky, which are now draining Agatha of her strength. So now Wanda is able to, you know, fully unleash her powers and become the true Scarlet Witch and basically kind of put Agatha to sleep and turn her back into Agnes. Yep. Where she's going to leave her here in this town where she knows where she is functioning fully under the identity of Agnes now until she needs to deal with her again if she has to. Uh, some of the stuff she says makes me think that Agatha isn't completely under control. Like she's aware that she's kind of like been put in this position, but she has to act a certain way because Wanda's just stronger than her. Oh yeah. They mentioned that yeah. the Scarlet Witch is stronger than the Sorcerer Supreme, you know, yes. Doc, Dr. Strange. Yeah. They, she does throw that line out during the fight that technically she should have more power than the Sorcerer Supreme, which basically means Wanda could have killed Thanos on her own. And Thanos really did save his own ass by basically taking out his own troops. Yes. Wanda would have killed him. Oh, yeah. Wanda would have killed him and Captain Marvel, given the opportunity, would have killed him. Yeah. Yeah, probably. But definitely Wanda would have crushed the hell out of him in those moments. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, she lets everybody go. She says goodbye to the Vision. She's goodbye to the twins for collapsing the barrier and then going into hiding. Uh, in the mid-credits scene, Hayward is arrested. And then Monica is informed by a secret skull that a friend of her mother's wants to meet her upstairs. So presumably Fury on the space base that he's on. And then in one more post credit scene, we see Wanda is in the mountain somewhere. We believe Wondagore. Uh, studying the Darkhold, which was a magic book that's well-known in Marvel folklore of magic, uh, in her astral form when she hears the twins cry for help. And slams the book shut and go to black. So, WandaVision as a whole. Thoughts? Uh, I loved it. This, I, and I usually like it when they drop everything at once. Doing it episodically was the smart move because this... yeah. Not only was it a Marvel vehicle to bring out the next, you know, to show us Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, mm-hmm. and Vision, and all these other characters that we're going to see in the future, but this was also a love letter to television. Yeah. And I felt it 100%. Like, every episode, re- even, like, while telling the story, also showed someone who wrote, the people who wrote this really fucked with TV, TV mm-hmm. as a whole, and as someone who's a huge television lover, like I love TV, like people like mu- love music. I love TV, so this is really, this was really, really nice. Yeah. you know, I saw a lot of complaints actually recently that people were complaining that like Marvel should have just dropped all of this at once because now everyone's disappointed because all the theories we had didn't play out, and it's like, yeah, but. Nobody told you guys to have those theories. Like, this isn't your show. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, Mysterio did not show up, but, you know, Marvel didn't want to do Mysterio. You thought Mysterio would show up. They never told you Mysterio was going to show up. Uh, uh, Mephesto. You're right. Mysterio. Thank you. Mephesto. I'm thinking of something else, but Mephesto, right? Yes. Like, but, we uh, thought it was Mephesto. We thought, like, mm-hmm. the multiverse, Doctor yeah. Strange. Yeah. And also the Evan Peters thing. I saw people complaining, like, it's not really him from the X-Men movies. It's like, yeah, but that's why they casted him, because you would think it was. Yeah. No, is, is it... We're upset that Disney trolled us, but we fell for the they troll. That's, they trolled us. That's what, the, that's what we were supposed to... Like, um... That's... Okay. They did... You did exactly what they wanted you to do, which was you engaged with the television. It became mm-hmm. the thing to talk about. Every, every Friday, the, yeah. t- the TL was swarming with hashtag WandaVision, hashtag Agnes. The world, for nine weeks, the world was enraptured talking about WandaVision. Exactly. You know, after a year of no Marvel, they gave us nine weeks straight of Marvel. Yes. Where if all episodes would have been done, we would have talked about this for like two weeks max, probably. And we would have been done. I mean, like, well, nothing new for Marvel for like the next two months. Oh, well, nothing to talk about. Like. This, you know, this this was literally the best of all worlds. Like, I'm sure there are content creators everywhere that are thanking Disney on their hands and knees. Like, for thank God, you gave us so much content for nine weeks. We got so many hits and so many new followers. Mm-hmm. You know, a weekend, 
it would never happen. We'd have all been like trying to find something else new. Exactly. Yeah. It, it makes perfect sense. And like, again, Disney has to find a way to sell their service. And if you release all the episodes at once, that's not selling your service because people are going to sign up for a month and then bounce for like the next two. Absolutely. Also, yeah. so I mean, sorry, one thing mm-hmm. that broke my heart a little. Yeah. COVID really fucked this up because yeah. the way they had it scheduled. I know. This was Doctor Strange was going to come out in like May. Yeah, like a, right after it. Yeah. So literally a month later, we were going to lead right into that movie. Yeah. Oh. I know that that kills thinking about that, like, because I don't I don't know when it's supposed to come out. It's supposed to come out like next. Year? I think it's coming out next year. Oh, it's next year now. Jeez, yeah, I know that kills. Because it's like this is such a big thread you're gonna be waiting to see. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean it. It's just one of those things. Um, I mean, I, you know, to have a year off from all the Marvel stuff after about ten years of watching these movies, and then for it to come back with probably. Honestly, the strangest take that you could get, like, you know, these sitcoms for like the first two episodes, which tell us nothing. And then to go into the story and then like people like we're straight up emotional, like people like, you know, plenty of people like, yo, we're crying at this. Like, man, Wanda's suffering. This is some real shit. Like episode eight was just like, like a a lesson in suffering. Mm -hmm. Like this is what trauma does. Yeah. (laughs) Like I straight up i know like a buddy of mine another guy named andrew said he didn't like paul bettany before the vision hmm. and i i would agree with him like yeah no. i didn't think very much of paul bettany like i was not a big fan of his and now it's like since the vision i'm like yo this motherfucker can't act yes Jesus christ yes <laughs> like like all things considered i know he's done other things but like no this guy can actually really act holy crap mm-hmm. this guy's pretty good and i also like and to I mean, say the phrase snitches end up in ditches yeah, snitches end up in ditches. Yeah, he loves that phrase from interviews. Yeah. He, he makes sure to remind his Marvel coworkers all the time when they're about to spoil something. Snitches end up in ditches. All right. All right, Paul. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, this is just, like I said, kind of just further cements Elizabeth Olsen as, uh, I'm sorry, the superior Olsen. I know she doesn't have as much money as her, her big sisters, but God damn it, she's got the talent, the looks, and everything else. Also, the balance... Is it just me or does everything she's in, she has to do like one of these numbers where she like, like yeah. she's back. She's, she's like back. She's just doing matrix moves. She's doing time. matrix moves. Cause like, yeah, <laughs> like she does it in episode eight where she's like reviving the vision. And I'm just like, did she need to do, she could have just did that standing completely still no. and just put no, her she's arms gotta out. Do it. She's got to do it in heels. She's got to just bend back. And I'm like, I see you, Ma. You got great balance. Just like, yeah. I'm just, it's kind of like the like a uh, Brad Pitt always eating something kind of like, yeah every time no like, and like, the Scarlet Witch is gonna have to do a quick lean yeah she she's gonna to, have to do some Matrix moves just do a Matrix bend she did a bend in uh, Infinity War she did a bend yeah. like other you gotta you gotta be you gotta be uh, you gotta do big gestures when you can't see what's going on sometimes man you just gotta just throw your body into it because otherwise you you won't give enough you gotta just go for it yeah you show your limber <laughs> yeah. So this week coming, this Friday in uh, five days, there's no Marvel thing. I think the kind of WandaVision related thing is kind of a behind the scenes of the show. Yeah. It shows that. Yeah. And then the next week will be the start of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which will then consume us for another couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then after that is Loki. Not as, and then Loki. And then whatever else they think of. Yes. There are more things coming for sure. Yes. Oh, and we will also be doing a review of Coming to America. Yes. Yes. Next week we'll be doing Coming to America. And I'm sure, well, not next week, but the next episode we'll do Coming to America. Yeah. And probably by then we'll do uh, the first episode then of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yes. Oh, uh, probably a review of uh, Boss Level because I heard that was good too. I saw that movie. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Frank Grillo. Yes. Uh, you're going to watch a Mill Gibson movie. Interesting. <laughs> I, uh, I still need to watch that other one. Maybe I'll watch. Okay, maybe I'll see if I can watch a Mill Gibson movie. So you watch one and I watch one. Um, I'll watch the, the Santa Claus one. Uh, What's it called again? I forget. The Fat Man. Uh, like The Fat Man. That's what it was. That was what it was. It came out over Christmas. The Fat Man, where he plays the, the Santa Claus who... Some kid hires somebody to murder him because he didn't get get what he wants. He he hires Lemonhead to kill him from the shield. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm gonna watch that then. I'll watch that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be terrible. But. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I think that wraps up our episode of reviews. We're at just at the hour mark. So if you enjoy this, feel free to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok at the Review Zoo or at Rapture Press on all those places. And uh, you can always f- visit us at RapturePress.com, the website. Uh, you know, leave a comment, like us, subscribe. Uh, give us five stars in your favorite podcast apps. Do things to show you appreciate our professional content where we didn't blather all that much at all. <laughs> <laughs> or so our social media person tells us. <laughs> so, Sam, I think we're going to sign off. So, uh, talk to you next time. Yeah, I'll talk to you next time. All right. See you guys later. One. <laughs>